Welcome to the Build My Online Store podcast, where we discuss everything and anything about running an online store. If you like the podcast, sign up for the mailing list to get news and updates at buildmyonlinestore.com. And now, here's your host, Terry Lynn. Welcome to episode 56 of the Build My Online Store podcast. I'm your host, Terry, and this week I've got Damien Thompson from Lynchpin. We're going to talk about content marketing for an e-commerce store. So in a nutshell, uh, we're going to talk about you have your store, you have your products, but how do you go about creating blog posts, uh, video, audio, or infographics, or just content in general that resonates with your customer base and how to make sure it actually converts into sales for your store. So that's what we're going to be talking about uh, this week. And so one thing I realized kind of as an extension to this is that I've been trying to become a better writer kind of throughout this past month or so. And so I realized writing is a very abstract skill set. It's kind of not like pool, uh, playing pool or building a house where kind of you have uh, very technical things that you can measure uh, if you're good or bad. And so I think with writing, it seems that there's no right or wrong way to do it. I mean, there's certainly a wrong way, but as far as what makes it right, uh, each person has their own style. So it's very uh, kind of different when you approach it from a creator's view. So uh, one thing I've been doing is uh, I've just started to write a thousand words every day the first thing in the morning. So uh, I wake up in the morning and I open my Evernote and I just type out whatever's on my mind until I hit a thousand words. And the purpose of this is to become a better writer. And uh, from what I've been told, uh, after some time, you do get better at this. And it's just something you have to slog at. Uh, for a long time. And so the reason for this is that uh, I do want to do some more guest posting, but I realize my writing craft is pretty terrible. So I think in the long term, just being a good communicator with the written word, the audio spoken word and videos is just a great skill set to have. So that's kind of why I'm doing this. So um, and so moving on to other things, uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, do sign up for the iTunes review. We have a record high downloads of this month. So uh, definitely a lot, of, a lot of new listeners that are finding the podcast. So if you guys like the show, uh, do leave a review. We're at almost 55 star reviews. So it does help out with the rankings. And uh, please do leave a review if you like it. So with that being said, let's just get into this week's episode. Awesome. So real quick, uh, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, so I'm Damian Thompson. I'm a, 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 a word you hate, I guess, content marketer, I call myself these days. But, uh, you know, I, I am, I'm the founder and CEO of a, a small content marketing agency called Lynchpin. We work with software companies, understand who they are, who their customers are, and uh, to create uh, high quality content to, to attract more buyers. My, the tagline is, is to, to gain new customers faster, retain them longer and maintain higher margins. Awesome, man. How long have you been in the content marketing business? Uh, well, that's a great, I mean, so content marketing has been around for a hundred years, right? You know, John Deere started actually in 1895 and I'm gonna waffle on like a marketing professor here, but uh, so uh, I've been in marketing for about 20 years. So uh, predominantly I came up through um, big software companies, companies like McAfee, Symantec, Trend Micro. Content marketing specifically, I would say I've been focusing on creating content for other companies for the last, you know, three or four years as an independent consultant, and for probably fifteen years before that, as a suit and tie corporate, you know, a, a madman. So, and so you know, content marketing really the past years since probably like two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve has really been 
kind of an overused word while well, it's been around for you know decades right so you know when did you start seeing this trend where everyone's was saying you know you need to do content marketing you need to do content marketing so there's a couple people in content marketing joe polizzi from the content marketing institute that hates the term content marketing i don't necessarily hate the term i, I do i i do get afraid that it's going to be if people are around for a couple of years you know it was only three or four years ago that social media marketing or social media consultants were you know everybody was a social media consultant and then you're definitely seeing a proliferation of people calling themselves content marketers now. Um, the, the terminology, as as most people think of it, is directed more towards online. And so the idea of copywriting or understanding your target market and creating content, advertising, brochures, uh, you know, kind of how-to guides, user manuals, I mean, that's been around for 100 years. But the, the ability online to disseminate it and distribute it very cheaply and to track the results. And that's really, I think, the big thing is that, you know, you really can now see, you know, the, the great old David Ogilvy, who was a famous advertiser, used to talk about how half of marketing is wasted. You just don't know which half. Well, now we know which half. Right. We can tell you can tell what's working, what's not working, you know, what's converting, what's not converting, what your average cost for acquisition for new clients are. And so because of that, content has become, you know, the kind of the new, new thing in the last couple of years. It's kind of a fine line between good content and making content just for the sake of making content, too. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the problem is, is that people are, are such lemmings, you know, that if, if, so, if something if something works, everyone piles into it. And. You know, I guess about two years ago, maybe 18 months ago, HubSpot, which are a marketing automation company, had done a bunch of research, had a bunch of data, and they showed that, you know, funny enough, the more you write, the more traffic you get. Well, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, so with people using, you know, content, you know, platforms like WordPress or even, you know, platforms like Shopify with their blog module, you know, every blog post you write ends up being a web page. And Google looks at that as a specific web page. Google likes websites that are big, right? So a hundred page website, Google likes that more than a 10 page website because they believe that, you know, and it's just one of their criteria, but the idea being that you're adding more value, you have more depth. Now the content on that page matters, but people started realizing, okay, the more I write, the better, and just started putting these out there. Also, there's a bunch of bad advice. So, you know, people talk about, you know, you need to be blogging every day, you need to be writing an article every day. That's horrible advice. Uh, You need to write things that your customers want to hear or your prospective customers want to hear. Um, You need to put quality, you know, quality does trump quantity. You know, people are changing their reading habits now. So, you know, the, the, the made up word I like to use is shareability. When you write something, you should think, you know, is this relevant? Does it solve a, a problem, a pain or a, a question my customers have? And will they want to share it with someone else? And if you can kind of meet those three criteria, then publish it. If you can't, then keep it as a draft. Yeah. So one thing that kind of bugs me is these like 10 tips, 20 tips posts that are kind of useful, but not like you just read it and you're like, oh, okay, that was cool. So you're saying it's better to drill into one tip, say, write like a thousand word article than to just make like, you know, 10, 100 word articles. Right? Yeah. Again, this is the problem that, you know, things that work, people do too much of and those kind of list posts or, you know, so from a headline perspective, typical headlines that get more clicks uh, are things like, you know, 12 ways to do this. And you've seen it for years, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you saw it on the cover of women's magazines, right? Seven ways to keep your lover and, and things like that. So pe- people like simple, easy to digest bubbles. However, measurement's a funny thing. And especially in the internet, it's very easy to measure things that don't matter. Like your traffic really doesn't matter, 
right? What matters is, are they buying when they get there? Or are they entering into your marketing funnel when they get there? So while my 12 tips to you know, do X, Y, Z might be a highly traffic post, it doesn't mean it's a highly converting post. And you see this a lot in, this, in the technology space or any space really when they get like some mainstream press mentions where they go on, you know, TechCrunch and software or, you know, in the e-commerce space, you know, someone gets mentioned by, you know, Forbes.com or something like that. And their traffic goes through the roof and, you know, their servers fall over because they go from averaging a couple hundred, you know, visitors a day to, you know, 5,000 in one day. But you'll see a lot of times none of those people stay. None of them come back. Uh, so really, you have to be measuring the right thing. And the right thing to measure is, are people taking the action I want them to take when they get there? So for an e-commerce store owner, that will be generally one of two things. Obviously, the primary call to action will be buying whatever's on the page, right? But understanding that 99% of your traffic's not going to buy the first time they land on your site, you know, they should definitely have a secondary call to action be enter into your marketing funnel, which you know is where I why I still think content marketing is has a lot of room to grow actually in e-commerce. So while everyone's talking content marketing in the internet world and in the software world and everywhere else, you know, I don't see a lot of examples of e-commerce companies that are doing it really well that are kind of creating a, a long-term because content marketing done well is really about building a relationship with your audience. Throwing out a word that people hate now, but it's actually a good word is branding. It's about building your brand. So when you're a single site, like you sell one product and one product only, you can get away with a single page e-commerce kind of store. But when you're trying to build a, a travel accessory brand or an apparel brand, you don't just you don't just sell a funny t-shirt anymore. You want to build a, a loyal following of people that buy into your your ideas and your mantra and, and who you are. You know, I think that's where content can really play out. People miss out understand this too, is it's it really is about picking your tribe, right? It's about picking your people. Like who are who are the people you want to be associated with your brand or your company and then how do you communicate directly to them? And in fact, part of your content marketing strategy should be how do I make sure the people I don't want there aren't there? You know, it's okay to piss people off. It's okay for you to only segment one person. In the mainstream media these days, you know, the Abercrombie Fitch guy is getting a lot of trouble. But the reality is, forget you know, being offended that he doesn't want heavy people in his store, the reality is he actually gets who his target market is, right? His target market isn't a 40-year-old, you know, soccer mom. You know, his target market is a 17-year-old kid who wants to be the cool kid, wants to be the cool kid's table. That's who his target market is. And if he knows those people that pay for his overpriced T-shirts, then, you know, he needs to target that audience. And, and having that knowledge is a good thing. Now, you have to be careful how you actually say it and, and what you say matters. And, but, you know, having that laser focus on who his ideal client is, I would say is why they've had so much success in the retail sector, in a, you know, in, in, a, in a tough retail sector. And it almost becomes a point where, like, if you're making content for everyone, it's harder to create stuff because right? you don't even know where you where you need to go, who you're writing to, where you even start, right? Right, and I think that that's a great point. And there's two things there. I think, firstly, it's, you know, if you try to appeal to everyone, you'll appeal to no one, right? So there's no such thing as a generalist. You can't be a generalist anymore. You've got to pick the people that you want to be with you. And the second thing is, is you're absolutely correct. And this is where people, the, the number one mistake I would say in content marketing is that people don't understand what content they should be creating. So they create content about themselves. Well, no one cares about you, right? All interest is self-interest. When I show up on your e-commerce store, I'm not there because I want to know about you. I'm there because I want to know whether you can solve my problem or give me what I want, whatever that happens to be. 
So in marketing terms, you talk about kind of top of funnel versus bottom funnel, right? So the bottom of your marketing funnel would be very specific information about the products and services that you offer. But the way you attract people is actually talking more of the broader top of funnel, which is more about things like how can you, you know, how, how can you show that you understand, you get me, you understand me. So if we use an apparel company, for example, let's say that my target market for apparel company was tweens, right? So I sold tween t-shirts is what I sold. So what I want to do is I don't want to just talk about my t-shirts. Sure, I want to have some personality and inject some, some livelihood to my brand. But what I really want to be doing is I want to be talking about things that are in their world. So I want to create content like uh, Justin Bieber concert reports from every city he's in. So create content that they want to consume that doesn't direct have a direct one-to-one correlation with what you do. That's how you get people attracted to your site. And when they get there, you then say, oh, by the way, you know, you've got this, uh, our, our series of, you know, Belieber shirts or whatever, right? So if, if, if this isn't, content isn't just long form advertising. Right? It's not just sales pitch, sales pitch, sales pitch. It's about demonstrating that you understand who your audience are, who your market is, and that you, like I said, that you know you like you, you get them, that you understand them, you're, you're one of them. And if you're not one of them, you understand them well enough to serve them better than anyone else. So if I'm making like a travel accessory store for say, you know, guys in their late twenties, in their forties, bachelors, single and married, you know, basically I would create content as a hey, you know, here are the top ten jet setting party cities you should go to. And by the way, here are some accessories you can check out before your trip, right? Absolutely. So you're you're gonna write, you know, time to be in Ibiza is now, right? This time, right? This is this is the week to be in Ibiza if you're that target market, right? Or, you know, don't miss Burning Man or whatever. And you know, you you're right. That's exactly what you want to do. You want to kind of give them the, you know, you want to go to Goa. You've always wanted to go to Goa, but here's the time to go to Goa. You don't want to go there when there's full of school tours and all the rest of it. You want to go during this. And that's, that's exactly it. You want to create content that that perfect, again, in a market terms called a persona or an avatar, when you create this imaginary person that you're writing for, or you're, you're directing your content towards people buy from other people. When you're creating a brand, what you're really doing is you're trying to humanize or personalize a company. And what you're trying to do is say, okay, this is our perfect ideal client and Trevor will call him is a 29 year old, you know, digital nomad who is single, who wants to work during the week, but party on the weekends and wants to go. He wants, he has a bucket list of, you know, the 10 greatest parties in the world and you're going to help him get there. And Oh, by the way, while you're doing that, here's some travel accessories. Yeah. He wants to go to Goa. He wants to go to the full moon party in Thailand, you know, the visa, all these places. And you, and you give him information that's important, like things that he, he, things that he might be able to find somewhere else. It's okay. Curating other people's content. If if you do it in a way that's directed directly at him. Right. So like for that, for that kind of persona, what, you want to do with him is you want to you want to steer him away from those places at times of the year he doesn't want to be there right like do not go to thailand during this period of time because there it's burning season or don't go to india this part of time because you know the weather is ridiculous or whatever but not generic specifically to him you want to go there this time of year because you know it's spring break in the u.s or it's you know between school it's between school sessions in europe or whatever right so you you know his ideal is he's looking to have fun and to meet other people and like-minded people and you you kind of help him do that you almost build this kind of like i guess 
see a series of whatever your company was called, you know, the travel company's guide for the, you know, for the digital nomad or whatever it happens to be. That's a horrible title, but you know, something along those lines and this kind of ongoing piece of content. And you could say next quarter, right? The next 90 days, here's where you want to be. Even like you can take different angles too. Like you could, if you go like the multimedia route, you can make like videos of certain places at certain times. You can make it like do like a podcast of people that have been here. What do they do? Like their first 24 hours when they landed and there's all this creative stuff you can really branch it off into. Also. Totally agree. I know, you know we're, we're on a podcast right now, which, you know, I, I love podcasts, but they're still very inaccessible to the average person, I would say, right? So one of the other things you know, I, I've been talking about recently to people is while I call myself a content marketer and I'm a big fan of content marketing, it's not for everybody. It's not a panacea. It doesn't fix all problems, you know, and it really is more about, are you looking to build a longer term relationship with your customer? If your business model is, and there's nothing wrong with this business model, but if your business model is you sell Cat5 cables or iPod docking stations or something like that where really it's about someone has a, per, a, a impulse to buy something and then when they get there, they either buy then or they buy within three days or they never buy again, then you know your, your marketing effort should be focused somewhere else. Your marketing effort should be focused on traffic and you know cost per click acquisition and you know conversion on page and things like that. But if you are like your example of you're a travel, you know, travel accessory company and you're planning on creating new travel accessories and adding new new products to the fold over time, then you want to build a long term a long term relationship with somebody, right? You want I, you want me to pick you over everyone else. I no longer use Tumi, I use Terry's, you know, Terry's Travel Co. Right. Yeah, and over time this is what really sets you apart from some generic random travel product too. So. It does. And I think that, you know, it goes back to, you know, personality. It's, it's why the companies that do such a well, you know, do so well. Like I, Apple, I'm, a, I'm an Apple fanboy. I've got my MacBook. The reality is, yes, the technology is good, but it's not twice as good as, as a Windows machine. Right? I mean, so, but I pay twice as much because I belong to a tribe of people that I like to associate myself with you know, creatives and travel people and, you know, people quote unquote in the know and that sort of thing. And so building an, an exclusive tribe, you know, is the way to to maintain higher margins. It's the way to to not have so much pressure. If you're getting your product sourced somewhere, you're getting manufactured somewhere, you know, the joke I make is, is you know, wherever that factory happens to be, you know, no derogatory to any specific country, but every hundred bags you're making, you know, two of them are going out the back you know, somewhere else and getting sold off the back of a truck somewhere. But that's okay because you compete against them because you're actually telling a story and you're creating a long-term customer and you're creating a, you know, they're coming to you for lifestyle advice and everyone knows your annual summer, you know, summer planning guide or your music festival guide or whatever. And you're creating this content that makes me feel like I want to be a part of you and I'm willing to pay a couple extra dollars to you because I want other people to know when they see me that, oh, I see another MacBook fan or I see another guy with that that travel service that I use. So he knows what he's doing. Yeah. It's interesting that manufacturing is not really the most difficult part now. I mean, you can just put something on Kickstarter, anything you want in China basically almost could be made unless it's some crazy sci-fi stuff. And like the hard part now is creating the story getting the message and just finding your tribe too, which is kind of something I've realized. You know, the, the benefit of technology is now it takes, you know, you, you had a great post recently about, you know, how you did your, the, the, the product, the Alibaba product. And um, that's awesome. And it still takes hustle. It still takes hard work. It's, it's effort work. It's not, you know, you don't have, you don't have to know the right people anymore. You don't have to have a hundred thousand dollars seed capital in order to be a, a manufacturer anymore. Right. So, I mean, if, if you have an idea and you're willing to put in the sweat equity and time, you can get it done. That's a great thing, but it also means that 
the playing field, it levels you over like the billion dollar manufacturers, but it also means it's not stopping a hundred other people doing exactly the same thing you are. So you have to separate yourself. And it's most likely not going to be, you know, I love to tell a story of, you know, this is 10 years ago um, when people started really going crazy up putting like Wi-Fi routers in their house. And, you know, the three largest Wi-Fi routers at the time, the Cisco router, Linksys, and, uh, and D-Link, yeah. They were all built in the exact same family, in Ta- it was factory in Taiwan. Like the exact same factory, like literally the same factory floor was producing these things. You know, they weren't all exactly the same model, but some of them were, right? And they were just putting their own casing on the outside. All that was was a marketing play. And the pricing was significant, like a Linsix versus a D-Link, where they were like, D-Link was the, you know, that was the lower priced and Linksys was the, the luxury brand and, you know, but they were literally the same guts. It was just kind of who was telling a better story. And that's why content marketing is not new. Like telling a story around your product, that's been the way it has been, been you know, advertising has been happening for hundreds of years. Yeah, it's almost like, even if you think about like McDonald's, they don't sell the best hamburgers, right? But they have phenomenal marketing, you know, execution sure. and all that stuff, you know, works for them too. Kind of an interesting, because what's the slogan like? Is it happy and... I don't, I don't even know what the slogan is. <laughs> it's like happy and joyful or something like that. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, I, I, I got the book. I can't think of the thing. Yeah. But and that's why I talk about brand a lot. And, you know, I'm, I, I, the same way people get turned off by content marketing, when I, every time I say the word brand, like my shoulder, my hand on the back of my neck stands up a little bit because people have beat the word brand and branding to death. But that's really what a brand is. A brand is a story about a company, and it's the the feeling you get, and it's and it, and it sounds so uh, kind of you know creative and oh no we're all quants now and it's all about analytical measurement. But but that's just not true. I mean you know you you want to feel like you're a part of something. You want to feel that you get it. And there is a difference. Like you know there's a difference between Levi's and Lee jeans and some $200 pair of jeans. There's a different story. True religion. True religion, yeah. There's a different story that, that, that around each one. You're telling that when you wear that, you're, you're making a different statement. If you wear Lee jeans, you're making a statement that I want comfort and fit. That's all I care about. If you're wearing true religion, you like, I want you to see me, right? I want you to see that I spend $200 on a pair of jeans. All right, and that's okay. That's your place. But that all wraps into the overall feeling of a company. And I think you come for a second, you know, I'm not saying that we should all sell $200 pairs of jeans online. You definitely want to understand what you stand for and who you are. And if you want to be the lead jeans, awesome. Be the lead jeans of your market, whatever it is. Like, you know, it's about quality and build and getting it out the door and doing it fast, right? Or are you the, we want to be very specific. We want to be a luxury brand. We want to, that's what we want to stand for. And I would suggest that if that's what you want to do, that you really have to put some time into your storytelling, content marketing, branding, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, so one thing this really boils down to is the whole ideal customer concept, right? And so one of the things that I guess a lot of people struggle with is that, you know, how is like a chicken or egg thing? Like before I start this thing, do I define this first or define it as it goes along? Or kind of what has your process been when you work with your clients uh, on the kind of the persona? Yes. <laughs> so uh, I, I think you have to guess at the beginning. I think you need to have something in mind, but just understand you're going to be wrong. So the, the best way to build a persona, you know, if, if you said putting I said, what's the best way to have the most accurate persona is, yeah, is to survey your existing audience. So figure out who you actually are selling to and have them tell you. However, 
that's a luxury for a lot of people, right? I mean, they don't have a big enough audience yet. And, you know, it, it is a chicken and egg that if I don't have enough people buying from me, will I ever get enough people buying from me if I'm not targeting a specific sector or vertical? And I would suggest, no, you're not. So I think you need to make some, what I do with my customers is I help them, I help them understand first of, of how they're different or how they want to be different. Differences measure in a bunch of different ways. But essentially, it's, you know, what do you want to stand for? What do you want to be known as? How do you want people to perceive your company and your products? Now, how does that compare to your competitors? Uh, and, you know, what is their overall messaging? You know, what does their ideal client look like? Well, do we want to go after those same ideal clients or do we want to define a new ideal client? And if you wanted to find a new ideal client, you just start, like I said, you may kind of draw a line in the sand and you start making some guesses. And then as time goes on, you actually test and measure, right? So you say, okay, every 90 days I tell my customers, you know, part of my big process of, you know, I do this thing called a playbook where I walk through a lot of their kind of content, like it's really about messaging strategy and brand strategy and then specific content marketing tactics and goals and, and ways to achieve a, a larger target market. But you know, one of the things I talk with them is that we're going to make some educated guesses now. Right? We're going to make some educated guesses on what the lifetime value of a customer is. And it really depends on them. If they've been in business for you know, two years and they've got a nice steady revenue stream, then we can just find out. You know, I'll help them put a survey together. We'll go out and we'll talk to them. I'll, I'll talk to a handful of customers myself on the phone and you know, kind of go through a questioning techniques I have and figure out who they are and why they buy and how they associate the brand. But most of my customers are, are earlier than that. Most of them are having some success. They're doing, you know, a couple thousand dollars a month, maybe in revenue. You know, they're doing 2000 a month. They want to be doing 20000 a month. The most common mistake I see is, is they're painting with too broad a brush. Like they're trying to be everything to everybody. And they say things like, you know, when I ask them, well, who's your target market? Well, everybody is. Everybody could use what I sell. Okay, well, great. Everybody could use what you sell, but who really wants to step, give you money for what you sell? Well, everybody should. Well, great, but you know, everybody should eat better. Everybody should exercise every day. Everybody should drink eight glasses of water, but they're not going to. So what you have to find out is, is who are the people that are more likely to do what you want them to do or take action you want. And that just comes a little bit with you know, some guesswork, a little bit about understanding what you're doing, but more a commitment to really taking a hard look at the people you do are doing work with and then consistently editing it. You know, I, it's said a bunch of different ways, but plans are meaningless, right? But planning is meaningful, right? So the actual act of planning and going through the process of understanding where you are, where you want to be and, and putting some, some roadmaps together to get there is a very meaningful exercise. The plan itself, once it's done, the, the, the collection of documents or papers are worthless, Right, because you're wrong about a lot of it. it. It's you know you don't want to be a slave to it. But you know every 90 days, reviewing it and saying what's changed, where were we right, where were we wrong, what have we learned, how do we, what what, what differences should we, what difference plans should we make for the next 90 days? I, I think it's always a worthwhile exercise. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned how everyone starts out too broad. It's kind of like how if you think someone who says, "Hey, I'm a real estate agent," but even that's too broad because you're someone buying their home for the first time versus someone buying you know an investment property for the second time or someone that already owns ten houses. I mean, they all have different needs too. And if you're just saying, "Hey, I'm a general real estate agent," you know, who are you targeting, right? I totally agree. And to, you know, the thing I I, I like to bring examples. I love that example because I have a specific example I use there. So if for whatever reason I had to become a real estate agent tomorrow, you know, I would get. I, I think success in the industry now is getting hyper super niche. So you know, Amazon, you know, sells everything. Whatever you sell, Amazon probably sells it or something very close to it or close enough to it. 
40 cents of every dollar spent online for e-commerce goes to Amazon. So you're not going to out Amazon, Amazon. You're not going to out Walmart, Walmart. So you better get hyper, super specific about who you service and what you do. So if I, for your real estate example, it's a great one. Like if I had gotten real estate tomorrow, I would become, I would become the golf real estate guy. I would only sell houses on golf courses. Right on golf courses. If it's not a house on a golf course, I don't want to sell it. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to learn about all the golf courses, you know, and say I'm live in Florida and I'm going to go out and I'm going to go, you know, review the 200 golf course communities and, you know, and I'm going to do the highs and lows and rank them. And I'm going to give you so much inside knowledge. Like I'm going to know you don't want to buy the house on the seventh green in, you know, Maplewood Estates because 20% of golfers put their balls through the window. Right. So you get such specific knowledge. And now, when you talk about like top of funnel, now my content is the 101 golf courses you must play before you die. You know, Damien's golfing tour and those kind of things. You start creating content and you, you demonstrate the people that care about that thing, that you understand that you're one of them. And then, you know, it's going to take time and effort and energy, but you know, two or three years in, when I now have relationships with all the real estate agents that are the, the listing agents in those places, I know the golf pros at each golf pro shop. Is anyone, if someone is serious about buying a house on a golf course, like they're decide that's their mini retirement, are they going to go to Terry Lynn? I'm a real estate agent, or Damien? I'm the golfing real estate agent. They're going to come to me, right? So that's that, and that's I say it's the same thing on e-commerce. So you need to get that specific. I'm a travel accessory company for lifestyle entrepreneurs. Right. That's that's a good niche. Right. I build, um, you know, you know, take on luggage. I'm a take on luggage company. Ugh. You know, great. Good luck. Even if you think about something like photography. Right. I mean, you have photographers that say, hey, we do weddings, you know, uh, live events, you know, scenery, you know, cars, ambient stuff. Whereas someone, you know, if you just had your first child, someone says, hey, you know, Damien, I take baby photos of, you know, babies that are, you know, zero to six months old. You know, here's, I've worked with 40, 50 couples. Here's a book of testimonials. I mean, it's a no brainer that you would go with this guy than someone who takes pictures of animals, you know, tigers or, you know, even the ocean. What if this, I only, I only take pictures of first birthday parties. That's all I do. I only do first birthday parties, right? That's all, that's all I'm going to do. But I'm going to become such an expert on how you should hold your first birthday party and who you should invite. How many of your relatives do you have to invite to your baby's first birthday party, right? You know, if you're in any decent-sized community, like any decent-sized community, you know, there's going to be how many babies are going to have first birthday parties all, all week? And you can do that whole thing of, you know, I've got a first birthday party. At 12, at 2, at 4, at 6, and I work four days a week. You're absolutely correct. I mean, if you really need to, and it's the scariest thing in the world to do. Like, it is just scary. Yeah, interesting. All right, so let's go on to a little bit about some more kind of on-the-ground stuff. So, you know, say you have 10 pieces of content or maybe 100. You know, How do you measure which one is working effectively and which one isn't? Like, what are the metrics uh, you look at with your clients? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, it's, it's a, it's, it's my big soapbox rant. I mean, so content marketing analytics is lacking. Uh, you know, most analytical programs are very, what I, you know, vanity metric focused traffic and time on page and those sort of things. Now there are definitely things you should measure and there's some basic ones you should do, but you know, I go back to kind of, you know, conversion marketing 101, which is the content that works is the content that gets people to take the actions you want them to take. So if that action is to buy now, that's that's a tough action on, on, on content marketing, but that can be your primary action. You know, I think over time you're gonna see trend lines. So when I write these types of posts, you know, my email opt-ins go up. When I write these kind of posts, my conversion rates go up. 
traffic sources from Pinterest is higher than or converting traffic. So I go back to a conversion event. I think the most important thing is a conversion event. So I don't care how much traffic you get, how much you know social media mentions you get. None of that really matters at the end of the day. It's things you want to track. That's great. But what you care about is are people taking the action you want them to take? And in e-commerce, that is, are they buying or are they entering into my email list generally? So that's that's how I would measure both those things. I guess if you're really anal, you could just make a separate opt-in for each content, and then you can then track that. But then that seems just it just seems like a huge headache too. But you can see you're going to see trends. You're going to see that you know when I write the you know going back to Terry's Travel Co. When I write the you know my annual report about you know the 30 days in Ibiza. The, the traffic on those pages is twice all my other traffic and I get twice as many opt-ins and all the rest of it, then I know I need to be writing more traffic, travel-related kind of stuff, right? If you know, podcasts or videos on YouTube are converting higher, then, you know, it, it's about listening to your audience. They'll tell you, and it's not always what you think it's going to be. You know, it's about listening to them and, 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 what, uh, and what, they, what kind of content they want, not necessarily the kind of content you want to create. Yeah, so I guess the bigger picture is that this is really like a long ball game. You can't just jump in for three months and expect to just be like a superstar. Sure, but I mean, realistically, what can you do, what, what can you do that in anything? I mean, what, what, what three-month superstars are there in the world? I mean, not, not many, right? So yeah, it, it's definitely long ball. It's definitely a commitment of time, money, and resources. Um, I, I would say there are some quicker wins. Um, I, I think that the first quick win is, is, you know, you need to have a plan. You need to understand, you know, you need to take the time to figure out who your target audience is, who your persona is, who you want to walk to, what makes you different than your competition, what kind of tone of voice do you want to use? Do you want to be funny? Do you want to be serious? You know, you know, what are some of your aspirational goals when it comes to it? I think I think that I think you'll see a kind of a big surge from that when people people want to naturally pigeonhole you. So they want to say you are this for that. Right, you are a travel company for lifestyle entrepreneurs, or you're a podcast for e-commerce company owners. Right? If all you talk about is, "Hey, I do online marketing. I have a podcast on online marketing," that doesn't matter. But you do one that you know. It's, it's the more specific, the better. I think there's value there. The other one is email, 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 email. One of the things that I see consistently now is that very few e-commerce customers that I work with have really got a good email system down. It's email is great because if you get your email marketing right. It's something you can kind of set and forget. Like the technology is good enough that if you create a good email course to get people to opt into your funnel, you know, it might take, you know, a couple of weeks to get it right the first time. But once you got it up and running, it just kind of just goes on its own. Um, if you take some time to craft some clever abandoned, you know, cart abandonment emails, welcome back sale emails for people that haven't bought in 30 days. And they go, the technology's there and you can create those once and use them over and over and over again. So I think that's something that people should focus on. As, as a great kind of 90-day win. Like you could have some significant 90 days wins if you've got your email marketing, copywriting, and, and content marketing right. Yeah, I think the power of that is that it works behind the scenes and it's very automatic too with the autoresponders you can set and like triggers and all this stuff. So I mean, it's magic. I mean, it's, I mean I, I, it'd be interesting to take a straw poll of your audience of how many of them actually have a cart abandonment email. Just a simple email, hey, come back, right? Yeah, say, we, we see that you left. Is there any questions we can answer? Here's a phone number to a real life person you can call to answer any of your questions. And you see things like, you know, 40, 50%, you know, people uh, converting from a, abandonment emails. And, and I, but yet I see a lot of customers, especially customers on the, the platforms, the Shopify's, the big commerces, the Volusions that don't do that well. Or thinking that they have to do it through some high priced monthly app. They don't have to. I mean, most email programs will do it, right? They, as long as you can trigger it somehow. So yeah, I think the beauty is that is 
like you set it up once or twice, you figure it out the ins and outs, and then really that's it. I mean, you can do it within like a day or less. I agree. I mean, I, I think it depends on how, what kind of level you want to go to. But yes, I mean, I, I think that you'd be hard pressed to write an entire autoresponder series in a day that was worthwhile. But yes, you're right. You, there's, you, you can definitely get it started and get going and, and, and move forward and, and see significant monetary returns relatively quickly. Building out your brand via creating content, that is something that it's not a campaign. Everyone's talking content marketing right now and 12 months from now, 18 months from now, everyone will say content marketing is dead. Well, you're just seeing it now. People say, oh, content marketing is dead. It's not dead. It's never going to die. People, people want it. I say it's about a commitment. You know, do you really truly want to build a relationship with your with your audience? Is that what you're trying to do? And if you are, then I like to look at you. Like you, you think you're you're coming up on your one year anniversary of this podcast? Yeah. You know, that just takes commitments. And you the first ten you, you look back and say, oof, and you know, and then the, the next the next ten you're like, okay, now I started getting what I'm saying. And but you know, you weren't really sure what you were gonna do to monetize it. And now look at you a year later, you're you're actually launching e-commerce products of your own. And I mean, at some point you've just got to play long ball. You've got to say, this is what I do for a living or this is what I do in my spare time, but I want to one day become my full-time living. And, you know, doing that half-assed is going to give you half-assed results. I, I guess just in this age, everyone has the instant gratification thing. They're like, oh, if I'm not seeing anything in like three, four months, like, you know, I got to do something else new. And I, I totally agree. You know, I mean, Alex, I'm, I'm guilty of this sometimes too, but I, I think you're right. I think that it's a premium placed on sticking with it. Like it's just, just doing it long enough and you're going to have some success. And I, you know, I'm not saying 10 years. I mean, things move much faster than that now, but you know, you see it all the time and I'll go back to your podcast here for a second. And I'm super guilty of this where I started a podcast and just stopped. Now I, and I keep on saying I'm going to start it again, but I used to complain about the people that did that. Right. Uh, you, you, the, the, the iTunes graveyard of people that have like less than 10 podcasts and you know, they're two years old. Um, because it, it's hard work, you know, and it takes effort and energy and it's easier to, you know, watch this week's Mad Men than it is to actually go out and write, a, write an advertisement. Yeah. And so kind of like just to go off a tangent, like what I realized was that you look at the guys we really follow, like, you know, Dan at Lifestyle Business Podcast, you know, Tim Conley, uh, even kind of like Pat Flynn and, you know, Rob Wallen, like when they started out, the first two years was just really tough, right? Like David was always talks about how his first two years were just like struggling and kind of you realize these trends where kind of like the first few years or when you start, you just have to pay your dues. We, we both know Dan very well. And I, I mean, I know Dan personally very well. I, you know, spent some time with him. Um, I do some work with Rob. Uh, and these guys, these internet celebrities, these internet kind of business guys that we look up to, they work their asses off. Like, I mean, they put they put hours in. I mean, like, there's, if, there is no Tim Ferriss four-hour workweek stuff here. These, these are guys that just put in the time and the effort. And I think Rob's a great example, you know, that he bought Hittail. And you know, it took a long time to make any money, you know. And now, yeah, he's making a really good living now. But we're talking month 20, month 21. That's almost two years. People don't put that kind of time. They put three months. And if, they don't, if they're not making money in three months, you're right. Oh, that's, it's, it, you know, no one's making money on YouTube. So I'm going to go do something else. No. No one's money make, making money with uh, yeah, publishing their own books. So you know, no one's making money in social media. No one's making money in content marketing. And, and they're never going to be satisfied because they're never sticking around long enough and putting the effort in. But I mean, that's the good thing for your audience that, that are listening and saying, hey, I'm a worker. I'm willing to put the hours in. I just want to make sure I'm working on the right things. Yeah, that's a challenge. But I, I would suggest if, if you're coming from a place of delivering things that people want, you're going to figure out how to make money off of it whole process versus event thing right everyone sees the event of you know this guy getting on TechCrunch or being on some event but they don't see the process of like in the past two year three years just hacking at this every day too so yeah it's it's the old Hollywood overnight success right 10 years to an overnight success
All right. Yeah. Yeah. So getting rejected over and over and over again, but sticking with it and putting time into the craft and doing it. And then, then all of a sudden they have three movies back to back and it's like, oh, this guy came out of nowhere. Well, he didn't come out of nowhere. He's been working 10 years of what he does. It just took him that long to get there. Yeah. So one thing you touched on that was interesting is that, you know, people that are in it for the long game, you know, they have the right mindset, but how do you know you're working on the right things or kind of what are some of the signals you see that, hey, I'm going in the right direction from the clients you work with? Yeah, I mean, so it's going to sound silly, but I, you know, I think money is an important one, right? So at some point, you need to be making enough money. Milestones that make sense, right? Like break even makes sense. And then, you know, can, you know replacing your old income makes sense. And the kind of setting up these monetary milestones, are, I think something you want, definitely want to do. And the idea that there is a right answer is wrong. So I, 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 if you really are in this for the long term, and if, you know, you're, you're building out, you know, Terry's Travel Co., you know, you're going to have some products that are dogs that just don't work, you know, and, and a lot of times it'll be the product that you were sure was a slam dunk. Like you were sure this was the one that was going to make you a billion dollars and people just people just don't resonate with it whatsoever. Um, and then it'll be the, you know, the, the travel socks you sell that just go crazy. Right. And get written up in, you know, some in-flight magazine. The business of guessing what's going to hit and what's not, no one can do that well. That's why I think that building and tribe is so overused. But if you, you're building this audience, you're building your 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 group of people that you want to be, the brand that you are for them, that they're going to help you and they're going to let you know what works and what doesn't work. And first, they're going to vote with their wallets. Right. People vote with their wallets. You know, are they spending money on it, yes or no? And then they're going to give you feedback and and, you know, some great stuff about how much feedback to listen to. I, I don't know the the magic answer. I don't think it's like in month 10, if you're not making X thousand dollars, it's a failure. I don't think that's the way it works for anybody. But I, I do think that if you're in the business and you're watching and your trend lines are are flatlining or decreasing, there's probably a problem. You know, a negative month on traffic or revenue, whatever that just happens, summer doldrums, that kind of thing. But if you're consistently staying flat or consistently losing even a little bit, there's an issue, right? You should be growing, right? Business is growth. If I, if we look at a lot of the people that we respect, a lot of people we look up to, I mean, they have some overriding goals. You know, you go back to Dan Andrews and, and Ian, the Lifestyle Business Podcast. I mean, yeah, they want to make money and they love living the travel lifestyle. They love to kind of be location independent, but they're truly turned on by the idea of building, you know, helping other entrepreneurs become entrepreneurs. Uh, I mean, so they, they really love the idea of everyone helping people become their own boss, helping people build their own businesses, not be reliant on some stodgy old corporation and actually be able to 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 off the back of their own hard work and wit, you know, be successful. And I think those are the guys who are the most successful, the ones that when you and, and that's a big part of your messaging. I mean, and it can get cheesy mission statements and vision statements and all. But if they're heartfelt and meaningful, it matters. It matters. It absolutely matters. And I think in some ways you really need something that lofty to drive you that you're really just kind of like pushes you because otherwise how are you going to be able to put you know day after day year after year into this thing that you know you don't even really want to do with your life right you're right i mean some you know sometimes a job is nothing but work right? even if it's your own job if it's your own company there's just things you don't want to do i think you're right if you don't have some sort of aspiration bigger than just make more money this month than i made last month i think it's harder i think that's where burnout comes right but when it's when it's when it's you know when you can kind of plug into a, a higher a higher purpose uh, of why you do what you do then absolutely, I think that there's a, the, the, the room for growth is exponential. Yeah, I think it's like how Dan says, you know, can you see yourself speaking at the leading conference in five years? Use that as kind of like the long-term barometer test too. 
Yeah, I love it. This, the stage test. I think it's a great one, right? Do you, I mean, and, and it's not to say that you ha- everything you do has to be going towards that. You know, another one of our friends is the the Empire Flippers guys, and parts of their business, you know, are, are not parts of the business they'd like to get on stage about, but they love to get on stage and talk about how they built a business out of you know building websites, you know, and how they how they employ forty people in a foreign country, and how they you know there's there are entrepreneurial things they do that they absolutely love and get a kick out of that are bigger than just. I want to make more money this month than I made last month. Yeah, and it's almost like what they do, kind of like the whole, the whole AdSense niche. It was just like a process to get to this thing that they enjoy a lot more too, yeah, yeah. is what I get from them. Sure, I mean, you, you got to pay your bills, right? I mean, you got to pay your bills. To get where I am now, I did a bunch of, you know, when I first left the corporate game and took off the suit and tie, I was, you know, a, a, a marketing gun for hire and did a bunch of work that I didn't really want to do, but you got to pay the bills. But now I get to work with, you know, e-commerce and software companies, which is really where my passion is. And really, you know, I, I really do enjoy working with owner operators and uh, that's, that's really where I, I enjoy it. But, you know, to get here, I worked with some big corporate Operations and you know did some pretty boring stuff to you know, to pay the bills. Yeah, all right. And so, who are the typical e-commerce store owners you work with? Are they kind of guys with you know they've been in the game a year or two or kind of five to ten or? Yeah, I think it's not so much time as it is you know they they want to make a step. So you know the ones I'm working with are they've had you know quote unquote success of some kind, right? So they're committed. This is not just a after work project anymore. This is something they want to do. Um, and so generally what it is, is they want to go from X to Y, you know, $5,000 a month in revenue and they want to go to 25,000 a month in revenue or they're doing 2,000 to 20,000. The numbers can change. But the thing I talk about is, is you now I'm working with a company now that, you know, they have, they've done really well in a single product and they want to go from a single product to actually be known as a brand of something like, you know, they want to have a brand. And so that's where I can really add a lot of value. It's where I can say, okay, great. You've been done really well at selling card shufflers for poker nights. Awesome. Right. But now you want to become a game company, like a game e-commerce company. So you want to do more than just poker shufflers. Now you want people to think of you as, yeah, we still do poker shufflers. We love poker shufflers, but we also do, you know, felt for your table for casino nights. And we also do this and we also do that. So when they, when they want to go from a kind of a single product to a multiple product, or they want it, they want to be seen as more than just that You're more than just, Hey, we're, you know, you know, redmonkeyfurniture.com, right? That's, that's, you know, whatever that kind of super niche down thing was. Yeah, awesome. All right. And so, you know, if we have store owners in the audience that want to find out more about you, where can we find you? Yeah, so uh, lynchpin.net. It's uh, L-I-N-C-H-P-I-N.net. And I will, I will do it. I wasn't going to do it. But you, you've, you've got me. You twist my arm. Um, if, if they happen to buy, if they want to use one of my services, obviously send me an email, damien at lynchpin.net. Um, but if they want to use a service and they can want to recommend, they, they tell me they found us on Build My Online Store, um, they need to use coupon code BMOS for Build My Online Store, BMOS13, and I'll take 10% off whatever they're buying. Nice. Awesome. Well, thanks, thanks for the hookup. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Damien. Well, thanks so much. And I'm sure uh, we'll keep in touch and uh, definitely get you back on another time. Cool. All right. Bye. To get more information about running an online store, visit our website at buildmyonlinestore.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store Podcast.